Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each of us. Peace be with you and Merry Christmas to everybody. Listen, friends, our gospel for Christmas Day is one of the most famous texts in the entire Bible. I'm talking about the prologue to the Gospel of John. You know, in many ways, it's like the beginning of, a, of an opera, the overture of an opera, where the major themes of the entire opera are sounded. We have that here now in the prologue to John. In many ways, it's the entire gospel, and you might even press it, it's the entire Bible in miniature. And so it rewards a very careful reading. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that so many people that might not come to Mass on a regular basis do come on Christmas, and they'll hear this magnificent reading. Let's take it step at a time. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, in the beginning, John is purposely drawing our attention back to the very first word of the entire Bible. The first word of the book of Genesis is Bereshit in Hebrew, which means in the beginning. What's John telling us? That Jesus is going to be the culmination of the great story of creation. It's not just a particular incident from 2,000 years ago. This coming into flesh of the word is the culmination of what began at the beginning of creation. Also, that God is always about the business of doing something new. How wonderful, in the beginning. God never looks back, God looks forward. God's a yes, novelty, creation, new beginnings. Now, in the beginning was the word, the word, dabar in Hebrew, logos in John's Greek. What an important term that is for the whole Bible. Because doesn't the Old Testament insist on the presence of the word from the beginning when it says that God speaks the world into existence? Let there be light. And there was light. Let the dry land appear, and so it did, etc. God is speaking the word into being. Implication? The universe is not dumbly or absurdly there. Rather, from the beginning, it's filled with intelligibility and purpose. How wonderful that is. Since God speaks the world into being through his word, the world is filled with the divine order, harmony, and purpose. John says, all things came to be through him, and without him, nothing came to be. You know, I've said before in other presentations and homilies that 
all the sciences depend upon this assumption, right? If you're a scientist of whatever stripe, you're going to go forth to meet a universe that you assume is intelligible. It's marked by logos or word. Further implication, order, harmony, purpose are placed in things by God from the beginning. And we human beings are given the task and privilege of recognizing this intelligibility in both the intellectual and the moral order. John says, this life was the light of the human race. You see what that means? The intelligibility from the beginning, which lights things up from the inside, is the light of the human race. Our job is to recognize it, to celebrate it, to become priests and prophets of it. At our best, we're like those priests and prophets honoring God and naming the truth that he has placed deep within things. Therefore, the Garden of Eden was meant to be a sort of temple, a place of right relationship between human beings and the Creator God, a place where the Logos at work in creation was seen, celebrated. All right? We're still telling the the story of the whole Bible in this prologue, this overture. So what's sin on the biblical reading? What went wrong? If what I've been saying now is what God wanted, what God intended, what went wrong? One way to express it, a refusal to acknowledge this word, a refusal to acknowledge this luminosity and intelligibility that is in things from the beginning. A refusal to live in line with the intellectual and moral intelligibility available in the universe. Put it now in terms of the biblical metaphor, it is grasping at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see now everybody, what that means and how important it is. Sin is arrogating to oneself this prerogative of creating light. Does that make sense? Instead of recognizing the light, basking in it, celebrating it, honoring it, we arrogate to ourselves the prerogative of producing it as though our wills are the source of meaning and truth. Now, you think everything I'm saying is kind of abstract and philosophical? Think again. Sin remains fundamentally the same across the ages, claiming for ourselves the prerogative of God. You know, today, just look around our culture. Today, it takes the form of self-invention, doesn't it? I mean, I decide the meaning of my life. I I decide the purpose of my body. If my body doesn't make me happy, I'll I'll change it. My gender isn't what suits me. I'll, I'll just adjust it. In fact, I can decide the meaning of the universe itself. What the Bible names as the original sin, the very beginning of things, perdures up to the present day. Okay, let's continue as we're telling this basic story, which is implicit in the prologue to John. 
So what did God do to address this difficulty? Well, he formed a people after his own heart, a people who would be prophetic and priestly, who would know how to speak the truth about him and would know how to order their lives according to right praise. He chooses and forms a people Israel. He makes them a priestly people. That means they know how to praise him right. He gives them a liturgy. And he tells them to play it out within the confines of the holy temple. What was the great temple in Jerusalem? Constructed by King Solomon, the son of David. Well, it was meant to be a little Eden. A microcosm of the world as it's meant to be. Filled with the light of God's glory and filled with human beings giving that glory right praise. That temple in Jerusalem was the descendant of a tent or tabernacle that Israel, under God's direction, built in the desert when they were sojourning from Egypt. Okay, with all that in mind, with all that sweep of salvation history in mind, let us turn to the central, most famous passage of John's prologue. I'm talking about verse number 14 in chapter 1. Listen. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word from the beginning, by and through which God made the world, that word that fills the whole universe with luminosity and intelligibility, has now become flesh, has entered into time and history, and dwelt among us. The word used in Greek here for to dwell is eskenosen. You know what that means, literally? It means he pitched his tent among us. Now, now, don't read that in a folksy way. I get in that acute folksy way of saying he became one of us. Like, you know, he's on a camping trip with us and he, and he pitched his tent. Don't read it that way. Read it in light of what I was just telling you. The temple in Jerusalem is a descendant of the tabernacle in the desert. That's why the temple can be referred to as the tabernacle. It's the place of right praise. The word becoming flesh, therefore, is God coming to dwell definitively in his world in such a way that the effects of sin are turned away. Notice, too, what we see in the wake of this tabernacling of God. John says, we saw his glory, the glory as of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. The Greek word doxa he uses here is a rendering of the Hebrew word shekinah. That means light or glory. It was the word, everybody, used to describe the presence of the Lord dwelling in the tabernacle and in the temple. The place of right praise becomes like the burning bush, a radiant vehicle of the divine presence. So what's John telling us is that Jesus is the new Eden. He's the new temple. 
He's the restored creation. He's the realization of God's intention for the world. And our purpose, he's telling us furthermore, is not simply to gaze on this fact with wonder, but rather to enter into its power. Listen, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Here's a point that, at least in my lifetime, has been rarely reflected upon. The feast we're celebrating today is called Christmas. You ever wonder about the etymology of that word, Christmas? Well, it signals Christ's mass, Christ's special mass. Where precisely is the new temple, the new Eden, the restored creation on display? The answer, everybody, is the mass, which is par excellence, the place of right praise. Where do we receive the divine life, this grace upon grace at the mass? Where is the power of the incarnation most vividly visible at the mass? Where do we encounter the tabernacling of God in the midst of his people? At the mass. And what, therefore, is the very best way to celebrate the incarnation, Christ's mass? Go to church. Merry Christmas, and God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.